Have you ever gotten your message lost in translation? Launched a well-thought-out content on social media only to get lost in the noise? Welcome to the Moving Beyond Acronyms Podcast. We are here to help you with practical tools to find your voice, craft shareable content, stand out in the marketplace, expand your tribe, and convert followers into ambassadors or customers. I'm Torrent, your host, a message master that's helped leaders, entrepreneurs, and businesses ignite their message with lasting impact. Each week, we will go behind the scenes to share real and deep conversations with the most prominent message masters on how they took an idea and crafted content that have trended to the stratosphere, boosted the bottom line, and improved the world around them. Now, let's get started. How would you like to engineer the career you want? To be strategic and work with your ideal client day in and day out. And create a working day that fits your talents and personality. This is what today's guest, Keith Russell, has done. Welcome to episode six of Moving Beyond Acronyms. This is part of a series that I like to call Stories from the Road. I met Keith two months ago while visiting my dear high school friend, Christy Russell. Keith is Christy's husband. And Keith is a hairdresser, but he's also great with cars. And I was down there also to buy a car. It was one month into the lockdown. I couldn't continue to rent a car, so I decided to buy one. So I ended up buying a Kia Soul. And while I was considering the purchase, Keith and I were test driving the car. And we got to talk about his career. And what was interesting when he said, anyone can be a hairdresser. But to be a leading hairdresser, you got to know your client. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that. And through our conversations, and this is why I asked him to come on the show, because I believe Keith has created a formula, and to Sylvia a formula, because him and Christy have been traveling to several states, several cities, and every single time within a year, he's able to become the leading hairdresser, and he works with the most famous people in the area, and he has a six-week waiting list. And keeps his prices competitively. And not only that, this is what really got me interested in talking to him, is that he's not on social media. He is not on Facebook. He's not on Instagram. He's listed on the company website. So how does he do it? Well, Keith in this episode is really going to help us get some tools and tidbits on how do you create good messaging, the fundamentals of building a business, the fundamentals of building a clientele, and also gives you some ideas on how do you create the career you want and the work that you'd like to do. So enjoy. Hi, welcome to Moving Beyond Acronyms. I'm your host, Torrent. I'm really excited today to have Keith Russell here, who is my high school's friend, husband, and he's a hairdresser. And we ask ourselves, why a hairdresser? Well, when he was helping me buy a car, as you know, I'm still in Kanab and needed to get myself a car. We were driving and testing my Kia Soul. And while we're there, while we're driving, we were talking about just about sales. How do you target people? Telling them a little bit about my podcast. And I was really impressed with his wisdom on finding clients, prospecting, having clients that stay. And what's unique about him as a hairdresser is that he has basically had a two month, more than two month wait. And he has a list of other people that want to be having him as a hairdresser. And he keeps telling me it's not about how good of a hairdresser it is. It is about how his approach is. So welcome, Keith. Hi. How are you today? 
I'm the usual. Yeah. The usual. A, What's the usual for you? The usual. I'm. Um, I wake up bitter and um, I soften up throughout the day, and then my life experiences or day experiences turn me bitter again by the end of the day. I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> But, <laughs> well, he's but I'm kind of not. <laughs> he's here in Kanab with me. Him and uh, his wife came up, Christy, and they. Um, we've been hiking. He went mountain biking yesterday. So we've had a really wonderful time. And Beautiful place. And so this morning we were thinking, well, I want to talk to you about the various things that you've done as a hairdresser. So tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself because you've been a hairdresser for quite a while. Since I was very, very young. It wasn't my first pick as far as careers. I kind of fell into it. Short story is I had a friend that did hair and his mother did hair. I ended up living with them for a bit. That's how I was introduced to the industry. I was always very artistic. I was more of a right brain person than a left brain person. Um, We were just talking about this where right brain has to do with um, the uh, art creative side and the left brain is more the intellect but I've always been more right brain dominant. So um, doing something in a, a career wise that is right brain and artistic where I'm working with my hands, I lose track of time. I, I enjoy my life. It's more productive for me. You know, Christy, my wife, she's more of a left brain person. So she does better with, you know, facts, figures, numbers, anything that's repetitive. I do better with free flowing, I don't know, anything artistic, I guess. Yeah. That's the best way to. Then you got your degree, I guess. How long of a degree is it to be? Yeah, a it takes a, yeah, I mean, it depends on what state you're in. Um, but my original first license was in California and it was, I believe California was 1600 hours. So it took a little over a year to complete um, a beauty school, beauty college. You don't really learn anything in beauty college. All beauty college is is just to get you a certification, get you a license. You don't really understand or learn how to dress hair in beauty school. You get kind of the basics. Where you learn how to do hair is through practice and through actually working in a salon or advanced training that a lot of the um, large product companies, the product manufacturers, they offer plenty of free training. Um, All you have to do is buy their products. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So is that how you advance yourself? Because like you see some people that have really yeah. interesting cut techniques. And yeah. So that's where you... Uh, you, you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all... Most of the advanced training, there are companies that do charge for it, but they charge... It depends on how, you know, it depends on how deep you want to go into a particular system as far as education. But the majority of the large product manufacturers, they offer free education. But so what I loved so much, or not loved, I was just really astounded by your quote, was that hairdressing has nothing to do about the technique. To be a good hairdresser is more than that. Way more than that. And I thought that was so interesting because when I look for a hairdresser and I'm rating, and I'm not really someone that cuts my hair very often, I maybe go twice a year or maybe just once a year because I've got long hair. But I'm always looking like like Yelp for ratings, Mm -hmm. the five, and you're thinking they're really knowledgeable and good. It's all subjective. Yeah. It's all subjective. Explain that to me because I think that's so interesting because I think that sets the stage for how you've been able to get your clients. Well, okay. So in the hairdressing world, if you've got 100 people with 100 different tastes, then you would need 100 different hairdressers to satisfy each one of those people. There isn't one right way or wrong way. Obviously there's bad haircutting. Okay. There's, you know, if you cut one side 
three inches long, <laughs> you know, shorter than the other. Right, yeah. Obviously, then you you know you, there is a in relation to the work or the quality. Uh, I don't know how to articulate this. There has to be some sort of guideline or standard so that people look good or get a style that they like. Okay. So yes, there is some technical ability that's necessary, but the majority, the majority of people will find a hairdresser that they actually get along with first. People have been known to stay with a stylist, even if they're not really happy with the haircuts or the colors, they'll stay with the stylist because they like the personality. They're comfortable with the atmosphere you know, they like the front desk. They like when they walk in that people know them, um, they're greeted. Parking is not a problem. There's a lot of different things that make, you know, make a good experience in the salon for that client. It's not just a technical skill. It does have a lot to do with uh, personality. But that's kind of like any product, I think. And I think that's why I think, uh, I believe you as a hairdresser have a lot to learn our listeners because I think you have understood, yes, there is the product of being a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. So if everyone fits in the standards of being within that category of a good hairdresser, mm-hmm. it's the packaging. It's kind of how you it market yourself as branding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was really impressed when you have like a two month wait. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking, and I think this would be great for the listeners, like, tell us about like, we were driving, you were talking about the specific client you wanted, and that's the client you have, the clientele. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Well, I go after, I go after people who, you know, uh, you know, I have a philosophy in life. I only like people who like me. And it's like when I was single and I was dating, I would only, well, it's like, if you don't like me, I don't like you either. I mean, <laughs> it's like... It's really super simple. Uh, yes. So, so that's, that's the philosophy that I use in business. I want to do business with people that I like, and I want to do business with people who like me. It's very circular. Right. We like each other. The more you like me, the more I like you. The more you like me, the more I'm going to want to please you and go out of my way to make sure that you're happy because I know you like me, and now I like you even more. But so how do you find the people you like? Because I was really impressed with how... And and this is interesting for the listeners. You have been in very many states. Yeah. So you've had to start from the ground up several times seven. to build your clientele. I've built seven, seven? clientels and wow. I build always the I'm always one of or the busiest hairstylist. I've owned several salons. I won't go into that, but I've tried to teach my stylists that when when they worked for me, I tried to teach my stylists how to interact with people. It's a it's a human connection thing. When I go after, I see somebody that I I see a client and I I can't really put my finger on it, but I recognize something about them and I see them and I think that's, that just looks like somebody that would represent my work, somebody that would represent my business and potentially send me more clients. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know really how to articulate it, but I will approach those people and uh, just introduce myself. But you articulated quite well when we were driving. You said that when you were in Scottsdale, because that's where you are now. In the that's where I'm at now, What's yeah. What's the name of the salon? Stephen Paul. Stephen Paul. So you had mm-hmm. Stephen Paul, but you particularly went as a certain type of woman. Right. 
And then you went to different places for that. Like you went to nonprofits. You went like to you look. You were doing a very creative way of getting. That. Well, I'm looking for okay because of my price point. My price point is on the higher side. Right. So what I'm doing is I'm looking for a particular demographic. I'm looking for somebody who looks as though they can afford my services. That doesn't mean that a girl who's wearing cut off sweats and, you know, sandals and with messy hair, that doesn't mean that she doesn't have enough money to pay me. It just means that I'm quickly trying to determine who I'm going to market to. And that's how I identify who my market is. It's, it's just kind of targeting your demographic. So which women will be able to afford me? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But you're also saying when we're talking is like you found women that you felt interesting. Yes. Yeah, so you're when you and I think that goes back to what do I like and who do I attract, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so if you can explain what is it, what kind of women do you like working with? Women that like me. Yeah, and what is in that chemistry? Anyone who likes me, I like them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you said they were intelligent, they were smart. You felt like they were at a different price point. Like you could. Mm-hmm. I see. That's the thing. It's really difficult to pinpoint, but I. It's it's one of those. It's kind of innate. I'm trying to think of a way to explain it. It's like you're going to fundraisers, right? That's how you find love. Yeah, I'm involved in like 15 different charities. Right, so you're in 15 different charities. And this is what I thought was so interesting because when we were driving in the car, you were mentioning how you're not advertising in any kind of magazine because that's not where you get your Mm -mm. clientele. You get it through person to person. Person to person. person person I always have. Yeah, and that's interesting in the social media age, which you call the anti-social media. I call it anti-social media. There's nothing social about social media. Right, so we'll get back to that. But so what was fascinating is you then... You go to people where you like, and you know that you like people that are kind of, that ha- likes to have a good conversation. Yeah. And you like to have women that will be able to afford you. Mm-hmm. And you I found. Like, I, I look, I look also, I, I look for women who are, they have a friendly look about them. That's another thing I was having a hard time articulating. When I mentioned it was kind of an innate thing. It's a sense of that these women are confident and friendly. Right. And that's they're what I'm con- talking about. They're confident okay. and friendly. I Women who, they have darting eyes and they are kind of angry looking. I stay away from them. I'm not going to go walk up to a woman and try to give her my card <laughs> because she's going to immediately think, oh, this guy's chasing me. He's after me. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to make somebody uncomfortable, but I, I look for people who, if you make eye contact with them, they make eye contact, they're friendly, they might smile. Right. I think there's some human connection that I'm looking for instead of um, uh, rejection, because there is a lot of that. I'm no longer in that point where I'm walking up to people, cold calling, you know, asking, hi, this is, you know, my name's Keith. I want to give you one of my cards. (laughs) I'm not doing that any longer, but I don't have to. But when I do do that, what I would do is um, I would start a conversation with somebody like I would make a compliment Oh, wow. I really love your shoes. I wish they made that in a men's size. You know, it's, if, see if somebody chuckles. Right. And when they ch- if they chuckle, it's like, oh, they're kind of open. They're right. kind of friendly. And it's like, oh, you know, then I would mention something like, yeah, I stand on my feet all day. And uh, God, my feet hurt so bad, blah, blah, blah. Get the person to engage with me. Right. And then when they ask me, oh, well, what kind of work do you do? Oh, well, I'm a hairdresser. Well, so now they're asking me for information. And then... There you, there you go. There's the card, you know. Um, that's one way that I did it. I don't know. There's like a million. It's but just- it was just interesting because I think 
I think you're intuitively, and this is why I think it's so fascinating because I think the listeners are people that are seeking to really hit the sweet spot of their of their customer mm-hmm. or their clientele mm-hmm. or making a sale is is number one, kind of what we had the first ep- the second episode I had with Travels from Canyon's collection, who you met at the yeah. hotel. Yeah. He's very similar to you. He says, yeah. I look for people that like me. Right. And then I try to service them and I listen to what they want. Yeah. So it gets to be this dance between the two, mm-hmm. between the messenger and the client. And my interaction with him was great. He's engaging. Right. He has a way of like, just kind of like, he, it just, he sucks you in. You want to talk to him. Right. He's friendly. He's engaging. He makes eye contact. He's interested. So, yeah. Yeah. And so what I was fascinating was, so I think with you and with him, it's like you have picked a certain sweet spot of people. Right. So you have a really good working day because everyone that you're pretty much interacting with that you're cutting hair for mm-hmm. are people that you like. They like you yeah. and you're servicing them. Mm-hmm. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Uh-huh. And, and then it's a relationship. Yeah. As I understand it from when we talked before is that when you cultivate that you you're interested in what they're doing so mm-hmm. you support their charities mm-hmm. you you get engaged in their world Absolutely. and by being engaged in that world you continue to get the people that you like exactly and they just keep referring me people and keep referring you people mm-hmm. and so. i found one of the best things is like once i had a handful of good clients i learned that People want, especially women, I I don't know if men do this as much as women, but because primarily I work with women, but when you ask for someone's help, most people want to help you. Right. So I would have, if I had somebody in my chair and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm really trying to pay this rent. This building is really expensive. I'm having a really tough time. Is there any way you would just send me one client next month? People will remember that. Not everybody goes out of their way to to help you. But if you ask, the majority of people go, oh, you know what? I have this girlfriend. She's been complaining about her hair. The problem with hairdressers is, or with a lot of people, is they have pride. And they feel like if they're asking for business, it makes them look desperate or it makes them look unsuccessful. We all start our businesses at some point, when you're beginning your business, you don't have any business. You are sort of desperate and you're you're ambitious <laughs> and you're trying you're you're trying to pay bills. Right. You're trying to survive. We want to act like, oh, I'm successful and I don't need your business. When in reality, we should be begging for business, but not begging to the degree that we're willing to give our business away and cheapen ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, because that's interesting because like, it was a two years ago when I was working by myself, I was being too cheap, like like giving away. And then yeah. no one ever really appreciates a freebie. Right. It's more like having... That's why I don't, do, I, don't, I don't do discounts. I don't believe in doing deals because what happens is you attract a certain market where I've seen this happen with people that I've worked with over the years. Their business is kind of suffering, so they, start, they offer a discount. And they get the discount people come in. And I don't want to name because I don't know about your podcast, but there's like these big, massive online deal companies. And what they do is uh, people go on these deal websites and... uh, Like a Groupon or something like that? Oh, yeah. People do like Groupon and uh, they used to have this one called Living Social years back. I don't know if that's still in business, but people would advertise on there. It's like a $100 service for $25. And what would happen is the clients would come in and go, 
oh, I just love what you did. And I just love the salon. And oh, you're just wonderful. When's your next, uh, when's your next Groupon? And the hairdresser would just kind of get this look on their face like, oh, well, the whole idea was to get you in and I'm not going to run another Groupon. Oh, so that was a waste. You see what I'm saying? So setting a standard. So number one, you have you have the right clientele, but it's also setting a standard even in the beginning. You have to target a market yeah. that can afford your services. Right. Target a market. If you if you if you sell a twenty five dollar sandwich and your price point is you're always selling a twenty five dollar sandwich, right. and you offer that sandwich for five dollars, well, the person you're going to get people that will come in for the five dollar sandwich, but they may not be able to afford your normal prices. Right. So what you're doing is you're giving away your you're giving away your work. You're wasting your energy. You need to de- target your demographic. You need to target that client that can support that business in the price point where you're at. Right. Yeah. And that's what's also interesting because you don't really cut men's hair. It's not something you're attracted My to. My price point's too high. Your price point is too high. Yeah. Men men need haircuts every two weeks. So at the prices that I charge, I do have some men, but they're quite wealthy. They're wealthy individuals. They can afford high-end haircuts every two weeks. Majority of men get a haircut every two, maybe three weeks. They need, you know, they're, they're not going to pay the prices that I charge, you know, for, for that kind of maintenance. That's why the male, my male clientele is just a smaller, it's a smaller group. But it's interesting. So number one is setting its standard, but then it's selecting your price point. I thought it was interesting earlier breakfast today. We're talking about your price point not being mm-hmm. too high, not too, being too no, low. No. And like even if you can go high, like we we're talking about me having a really expensive haircut in New York. Mm-hmm. But you're saying you don't want to price gouge. Could you tell me a little bit about this? I thought it was an interesting philosophy you have on, so on when, your price point and how you're select, what, how you selected it. What I'm looking for in any form of in my industry, okay, I've seen salons or hairdressers that they're always on the lower end. They never break out of the lower end because they've built a clientele with the lower end prices. And if they raise their prices, they think that they're going to lose business. So they're stuck. Okay. And then there's the people that get overly confident and they go, oh, well, instead of charging $100 for a haircut, I can charge $200 for a haircut. So they don't have the skill set to be able to charge those prices. You do have to have a skill set to get into the higher price point. And then what happens is the hairdressers that do have the skill set that jump into the higher price point, now they've eliminated all the people that we're just barely affording them. So what what you don't want to do, and I don't think in any business, is you don't want, you want to keep maybe two-thirds, and this is not like an official number, but I'm just kind of pulling it out of my head here. You want two-thirds of the market to be able to afford you. I don't want to eliminate the single mom that works three jobs that's just saving her money to come in and get her hair done. I don't want to only work on wealthy society women because I don't want that to be my, you know, only client base. I want to have a diverse client base. I want to be able to target the young girls that are just graduating college and they're just getting started in the workforce and they want really good. They're used to quality, you know, they want a good quality hair care. They want to look great, make a great uh, presentation in their new careers so they're working hard and saving money so that they can, and they, they will spend money 
to to get good services. I don't want to eliminate them. So there is a there's a funny price point where for my work and for my experience, I am on the higher price point, but I'm not so I can go higher, but then I would eliminate the people, yeah, the people, the, the people that are just kind of get, you know, that are just affording me, they're going to drop off. Right. And I, I want that diversity in my clientele. I want people from all, not all walks of life, but I want pe- more, I want a diverse clientele. And also you don't accept tips. Is that how it is? Or you have, to I, I don't. And the reason why I quit, I quit accepting tips when I, when I opened my first salon, because it was always a, if you're the owner of the salon, you typically don't get tips because they always it's it's assumed that you're the owner, you make more money. And that's not always <laughs> the case. There's a Beverly Hills hairdresser that I worked with and was friends with. His name was Jerry Dore. He's passed away. But Jerry was funny. He always made more money than the salon owners. He always he drove a Ferrari. Uh, really? Yeah, he drove a Ferrari. He he wow. was he was like one of the people in my life that I looked up to. He was mm-hmm. just a crazy character. I asked him one day. I said, uh, Jerry, I go, why don't you own the salon? And he says, Well, I make two thousand dollars a day. I drive a Ferrari. I own real estate all over Southern California. The salon owner is cleaning the toilets and taking out the trash because the housekeeping didn't show up. Why would I want to do that? And it was like these, it was like a moment for me because I always wanted to own my own salons. Right. And he goes, the salon works for me. He goes, I don't work for the salon. And he was just, like I said, the guy was just like, uh, he was one of the greats. He was uh, old school. He, I mean, he came up in the, you know, the sixties and seventies hairdresser. You know, he was quite old when I knew him, but just really, uh, just really an interesting, unusual character. Learned a lot from him. Opening my first salon, I thought I was, you know, of course, you you make more. I'm kind of talking in a big circle here, but it was about the tipping. It's assumed that you make more money as a salon owner, and that's not always the case. What did you learn from, from uh, what was his name, Jimmy? Jerry Dore. Jerry Dore. Yeah. So what did you learn from him? I learned that where where I'm at now is the salon that I own is a salon within a salon. Now, the industry has changed a lot. It is my own salon. It's called Backdoors. It, well, we call it Backdoor Hair Lounge. Um, we called it Backdoor Hair Studio for a while. But it's a 400-square-foot suite within a 13,000-square-foot hair salon building. And so what? what is um, – I'll, I'll kind of break it down. The industry has become independence. Instead of being an employee of a salon where you're paid commission or salary – the majority of the industry now, like 80%, I think, if that's an accurate number, it might even be more, but like 80% of the industry, people are renting booths. So you basically, you rent a little stall and then you're self-employed. That's kind of the direction of the industry. And so what I do is I'm, I'm, I'm renting a 400 square foot studio. It's a space within this huge, beautiful salon. And I believe that Stephen Paul has like 10 suites and then he has individual chairs. So our suite, which uh, we named the, uh, you know, Backdoor Hair Lounge. I like the name. It's because we're, you can enter through the front of the salon, but we have a door that goes out to like almost like an alley with a huge parking lot. So we have private parking and it's like a back door. 
So we painted it a different color and it, it's kind of unique. It's almost like a, it's weird. It has kind of a speakeasy feel to it and it's kind of um, exclusive. You know, you don't walk in through the front. It's very private. So I am, I am the owner of it. And because I'm the owner of it, I don't accept the tips. Okay. Now, if people who have worked for me in the past, mm-hmm. you know, I only hire people on commission. I would never rent a chair to anyone because I want to keep a concept of my business And I've done it both ways. I've owned salons where I've done commission and where I've done lease. And I will never do a lease again. Not that it works for me. So what is the concept of your business? Quality and, you know, treat people fairly. I want to be treated fairly. We don't take business off the street. We just, um, it's all referral. All referral. Mm -hmm. And I don't do any social media. And I don't take tips. Now, this is what I'd love to do for us to talk about for now. What's that? We've kind of... uh, Gone through, you know, your clientele, the no tipping, the quality, the kind of uh, business you stand for. And I think what's really interesting is it's all referral based and the whole anti-social media. I hate it. So tell me about that. I absolutely hate I'm one of those people that I will die with no Facebook page and no um, Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I, I just won't do it. Absolutely. No, I just don't. I don't believe in it. Not that I don't go and snoop on certain things. I mean, you know, it's like I do live in the modern era. I use technology. I love technology for certain things. But as far as communication and keeping in touch and, you know, I don't care like, you know, about a thumbs up on or what somebody had for breakfast. And I don't think anyone would care what I had for breakfast. So I you haven't used it at all to get such a two month wait list. No. Nope. It's useless. It's useless. It's absolutely, it's absolutely useless. I can't say that it's, it shouldn't be used for certain businesses. I think that it is a tool that can be very successful. Okay. And I will go on record and say this, that social media can be a tool that, that works for certain businesses. But But you don't have to have it. And that's what I think is so interesting because like you've kept your old school way. We're going to talk about how you built your clientele shortly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's like you have not had to use the modern technology. You've gone old school all your time Mm -hmm. and you've never had to go on social media. No. And that's really fascinating. Yeah. No, I won't. I won't ever do it. It doesn't matter what kind of And you still have younger clientele. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I have tons of tons of young people. I've got people in, you know, I've got girls in, the, in, you know, teenage girls all the way up to women in their 80s. I mean, so you'd never be on Yelp as a rating because that's the happen. absolute worst. The absolute worst thing you can do for rating or for your business is to be to have something where somebody can rate you. It's the absolute worst thing because why is that? Well, because you're constantly putting out fires. If you have an experience with someone in a business, anyone who's ever owned a business has had a disgruntled customer that's crazy. Okay. (laughs) So how do you reason with a crazy person? And when you give that crazy person a voice where they can actually rate your business and explain their craziness and post their craziness, how do you diffuse that? You can't diffuse it. You have to respond to it. I've seen things where you you could obviously the person who's complaining about the business is crazy. And then you feel, I feel bad for the business owner. They're replying and they're just like, I'm so sorry that you didn't. I'm so sorry that uh, you, you feel this way and that you had this experience and blah, blah, blah. It's like, what do you do when somebody's nuts? 
You can't uh, you, you can't diffuse it. And they have a voice. So the problem with social media, especially there's ratings, you know, five star rating and a person can post their comments. I think it's kind of a it's kind of scary because anyone can say anything. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've actually used it. So when I was in um, I was in Barcelona and I wanted to get a haircut. Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. And I went on Yelp and I got this guy that was like five star all the way. Okay. And I went to him. It was a fabulous experience. Mm-hmm. And, and he was actually recruited to go to Hollywood mm-hmm. to work on movie stars. So I said, wow, mm-hmm. when you come to the U.S., I might have a haircut. And you started laughing. You won't be able to afford me then. Oh. <laughs> and it was just interesting. And it was an amazing experience. So mm-hmm. in that instance, it worked for me. But mm-hmm. I can see that you're seeing a backlash now, or maybe not a backlash, but people desiring to find things mm-hmm. not through social media. And that's kind of where you, where your um, clientele well, I had a client, I'll give you an example about social media and what, what it can do or what it can't do for you. I had a client who was a, she was like a very, very affluent and famous person. She waited, she waited like five or six weeks to get an appointment. She came into the salon and I was running late and I called up at the front desk and I said, please, please tell this client Uh, And I won't say her name, but I said, please tell this client that I'm running about 20 minutes late and went up to greet her when I was finishing up. And I was just having just a terrible morning. It was just like everything was falling apart. And I went up and I was like, hi, you know, I'm so glad to meet you. And I'm so sorry that you had to wait. I go, I apologize. I just got really behind on a hair color and blah, blah, blah. And, And she goes, you know what? She goes, let's just forget the whole thing. I've waited all this time. And now you make me wait when I come to the appointment. And she goes, so all I've been doing is waiting for you. I'm going to write the worst review you've ever heard. And I was like, well, good luck, because I don't know where you're going to write it. I mean, you're going to have to start your own. (laughs) You're going to have to start your own web page about what a horrible person I am. (laughs) That was that was an example. And the, the reason why I give that example is because I didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes things happen. Yes, I would love to be... I'm a very punctual person. You are punctual. I'm very punctual. Very punctual. Okay. Sometimes things just happen. And you know what? Everybody has to get along and, and, and flow. And she was rigid and difficult. And why is it fair that I would get a bad review just because of something like that? That's no, just, you're absolutely right. That's just not fair. Now, if somebody does something horrible... Um, they melted my hair off. I had burns on my scalp and blah, blah, blah. Well, yes, there's some horrible practitioners out there. There are some abs. And I will I will go on record and say this. 70% of my industry is horrible, horrible. There's a lot of just sloppy, lazy they're just uh, they're just kind of getting a bit just kind of floating through. It's not a career to them. And they do some terrible there's some terrible work out there. I'm going to say that. Yeah, that's that's the majority. You're kind of like um, gambling. That's why the the stylists that are busy, the the really good busy stylists are always really good and really busy. So what I liked about when you're saying making a good stylist, you said, number one, you know, everyone can cut hair. Anyone can learn how to do hair. Anyone can learn how to yep. do hair. If you've got eyes and some coordination and like a, a fraction of a brain, 
you can learn how to do hair. <laughs> but so what I thought was so interesting is that when you were talking about your like doing hair, mm -hmm. so when I come in, when a client or if, if it was myself coming in with a specific way I want the hair, mm -hmm. you're able to guide them. Guiding. Yeah, yes, so, that's a good so, word. So talk about your guiding <clears throat> principle because I think a lot of times when you have a client, not even in the hairdressing industry, how do you guide people instead of instructing people? So I think a lot of times if you're a consultant <clears throat> or what, You end up being more the instructor mm -hmm. and the clientele gets kind of resentful towards you. Mm -hmm. But you have been able to find a way to guide the clientele to, mm -hmm. yes, thinking, not like, you're not like manipulating them. It's just that you're opening their eyes in such a way mm -hmm. that they see a better solution. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a collaborative effort It is. instead of like, a, like in my business, a lot of times consulting, you're like this, 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 mm -hmm. instead of really collaborating. Could you expound on that? Because I think that's something we could really learn from. I look at it this way. I'm an artist. There's a design factor. When you look at somebody's face shape, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into creating a great hairstyle. Lifestyle is one of them. If, you know, a woman who does not want to style her hair, you can't put a hairstyle on her that requires 45 minutes of blow drying And then, you know, another 10 minutes of tweaking with hair products. It's not going to work. She is not going to be happy. She is going to, she is going to continue to not style her hair. A woman who is into putting her hair in rollers and curling it and styling it and fluffing it every day, you can't give her a low maintenance hairstyle. She needs a hairstyle that's going to be high maintenance. So lifestyle has a lot to do with it. Lifestyle with your hair. That's uh -huh. yeah. A lifestyle. And I look at women, women who are... Uh, career women, they need a power haircut. They have to have a powerful haircut that people will take them seriously. They don't want, you know, big Farrah layers and, you know, <laughs> they're not, they, they have to look like corporate. They want to be taken seriously. There's so many things to factor in after they have a child or two children, they might have little children at home we call them soccer moms. I know it's a horrible thing, but the soccer mom haircut, they don't have the time or the energy. They want something cute, but the hairstyle has to suit the lifestyle. Suit the lifestyle. That's the hairstyle has to suit the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Then the hairstyle has to suit the hair type, texture, mm -hmm. thickness. Mm -hmm. Then there's face shape. There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, there really is a lot that goes into finding a good hairstyle. How do I discuss that with a person? It's a case-by-case case thing. I, if, you have a new I give client, people, if you have a new client, how would you do it? A new client, I when a client comes in, I don't, I let them talk. I let them talk and I go, well, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with you. And as they speak, I start forming a picture mm. of what's going to work. Mm. And, you know, that just comes from experience. But then like say, if someone, like I remember the Dorothy Hamilton Yeah, Dorothy so when Hamill. I, when I was Dorothy Hamill, when I was uh, young, everyone wanted that hairstyle. That was the first time I cut my hair. My uh -huh. hair was all the way down to my back. And uh -huh. I said to mom, I want a hairstyle. And she goes, you're going to look horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I was so stubborn. I got the haircut and I looked absolutely horrible. Yeah. Right? And so it's kind of like with you, how do you shift someone's mind if they come in with something that's just not fitting their hairstyle Uh, not fitting the face, not fitting their lifestyle. How do you how do you kind of massage that or bring some truth? Yeah, to that? You know what? I, it, that's a difficult question to answer. the The short answer would be 
I try to uh, steer them. Like, okay, so, you know, if somebody wants something that I know isn't going to look good, yes. I just <laughs> I just tell them, I just go, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that as a first pick. Why don't we try this? Let's get you close to that. Let's get you something closer to that, but not that. Let's compromise. I'm always looking for that compromise. So, oh, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. you're basically saying, hey, that's not maybe the first way you want to go, but how do we move towards that? How do we move or, towards that? Mm-hmm. And then after a while, through the journey, that person might see this yes. was the best option. Yeah. And some people come in and some people I that I, I really like. There's uh, several clients that I have right now that I really like them as people. But as far as clients, they've come to me. They, they're like, I've been to every hairdresser, blah, blah, blah. And they, they, I never like what they do. <laughs> and I'm like looking at the hairstyle and I go, well, the reason why you don't like what they do is because, you know, and then of course they're, they're telling me, okay, it needs to be three inches here. And I like it this way. And I like it that way. And I go, well, you keep telling the hairdresser what you want. And then you keep going to another hairdresser and telling them what you want. They're doing exactly what you want and you don't like it. So how about we try something different? Why don't we compromise? Let's grow this part out. Let's get this a little bit. And I tweak it a little bit. And they're like, well, I need height on top. That's like one of those things. It's like you with the hairdressing. I need height on top. It's like, really? You don't. Look at all the hairstyles now. It's like, do you see a lot of height on top? <laughs> no, that was like something 20 years ago. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut something on you that you're going to be unhappy. Now you're going to just going to be unhappy with me. Let's suggest, let me try to get you to grow out of it. So it's, it's this give and take, you know what I mean? Compromise, compromise. I can't get everything I want. Right. You know, I can't just do everything that I want. I don't get frustrated with, I go hey, next time, maybe we'll do something next time, you know? So. And then you kind of have that journey and that's why they keep coming back. And you're building the relationship with people. It's like business is relationships. We need to get away from the social media, the cold prefab advertisements with with social media. Now, all the hairdressing, all hairdressing is, uh, and I have, when I have um, new hairdressers, I've got two new people starting with me when we reopen after the the coronavirus thing. I've got these two new people starting with me that are going to be assisting and hopefully building clientels and whatnot. But we have to get to a place where we're not prefabbed and preformed. All of the industry, at least in my industry and what I look around, I mean, I, I went and bought tires. Let me, let me kind of distract from sure. what I'm talking about. I, I went and bought tires right. for my car. Okay. Right. Or for my you know SUV. So I get the tires and they, they, they send me a thing with the receipt where it's, you can link to our Facebook page. Now, why would I want to follow a tire company <laughs> tires? I mean, yeah, you did a great job. I bought you tires. It cost me $1,800 for tires. I bought my tires. Now leave me alone. I don't want to read about tires. I have no desire. I have no interest. I couldn't care less about the tires. I did the, the due diligence. I did the research. I picked the tire that I thought was the best. I went in. You did the sale. Now I'm supposed to follow you on Facebook and read about tires? It's mad, it's absolute madness. And and the, the hairdressing, it's the same thing now. Every hairdresser is on Instagram. Okay, I guarantee you. 
if you go on right now and look up what was what was a really big trend? Let's just go a year or two back where everybody was doing these like silver blondes. Okay. Yes. Where really young, very, very young yeah, girls. They hair. wanted like white, you bleach it white, okay, which just destroys the hair. Right. You bleach it white and then you tone it. And there's all these like beautiful tones of gray. Okay. That was like one of the hottest trends. And every style every stylist had on their, their Instagram and Facebook, they take a picture of the back of somebody's head and the back is curl. You know, it's, you can see the back of a head and then there's curls. I mean, it's madness. So there's this one. And then every girl in the salon or guy, everyone in the salon had the same picture. It's like, here's my client with curls and this silver color. It's well, now it's everywhere. Everyone is doing it. If everyone is doing it, you're not unique. You don't stand out. You have to differentiate. You have to stand out. All you have to do is not do that and introduce yourself to somebody. And now you've got business. That's really cool because I think we'll go back to uh, you've, you've started up seven different times. Seven clientele. Seven clientele. Uh-huh. That's a lot. Is that seven different states or is it? Uh, no. No. It's not seven different states. But it's seven different clients. So so when you start out fresh, and I think this is a really interesting way for someone that's starting their business or thinking about building a business. Can you tell what you do? Because I thought it was a really fascinating journey. As far as like building? Yeah, building. Yeah. Well, I've built, you know, I've I've done different things. You know, I've I've managed some very large corporate salons and I didn't I didn't like anything corporate. Because I didn't want somebody who had no experience telling me what they thought was the right thing right. to do when I'm in the trenches running that. So, so I've done that. That was just the, not the direction. So I wanted to do my own thing. So I've right. done several of my own salons. That's a different kind of operation because, you know, you're building, you're building a salon, designing a salon, furnishing a salon. You've got to staff it. Those are different problems. Are you talking about I was talking just about building you, an individual, uh, yeah, individual clientele? Because I thought yeah. it was so interesting how, you know, it's sales, right? It's all about selling. Absolutely. And it's selling yourself. It's selling your brand. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing we're going to talk about is just your brand. Mm-hmm. But like you were telling me how you you just go call, almost like cold calling. You're meeting Absolutely. people. And, well, uh, this circles back to what we were talking about in the beginning of your interview here. You know, how do you find your clientele? Yeah. How do you find your clientele? You, you found it. Then you... Meet with them and yeah, you just introduce your, you know, you introduce yourself and um, personally, I mean, you know, I, I like uh, just walking up to people and, you know, looking for someone that's not going to hate me. And then you, just you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, she looks friendly. So like, when you started these, how many, how many times would you have to cold call? How many people did you do this? And- for every hour, this is something that I used to teach my stylists. Okay. For every hour that you want to work. You have to spend an hour marketing. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you want to work for an hour, say you want to do a haircut. Right. Okay. You need to market. You need to go out and walk around, drive around, whatever you're doing. You need to spend an hour marketing to people to get an hour. Would that include like your supporting charities and stuff like that? Is that like a... The charity thing, you know, the charity thing is more of a meet and greet. Meet and greet. Absolutely. Yeah. The charity thing is a meet and greet. Um, What's the difference between that and... Because you're condensed. When you're, when you have, you know, like I met a client, I had a client that she took me to a high tea at a hotel in Scottsdale. 
And at the time they were doing like, uh, you know, they had like a, you know, piano bar, something or other high tea thing. And she would, she just like, Oh, I have to introduce you to all my friends. I was like, well, that, that would be fantastic. So she introduced me to like, you know, half a dozen women, you know, I sat and visited with them and just visited with them. Right. And they were all like, Oh yeah, I would like to show. Well, I've been going to the same person for blah, 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 but I'm thinking about changing. Okay. Well, come, come over and I would like to work on you. You know, I need the business. So please help me, you know, so that I can afford to stay here and, you know, build my business and ask for not ask for help, but ask for business. There's nothing shameful in asking for I, business. I, that's what I liked about it. Because when you're talking about when you're meeting people, you you have a different approach where Christy, your wife, was talking about one of your colleagues would probably say, I'm a hairdresser, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But you do you do your approach differently. Yeah. When I needed the business, I would ask for business. Yeah, you'd ask for business. I would ask for business. It's like I'm not too proud to ask for help. I don't have any business. Why would I pretend that I'm something that I'm not? You know what I mean? But how do you do that ask without sounding desperate? How do you find that sweet spot? I don't know if there is a sweet spot in that. I okay. think some people might find it that, oh, the guy is desperate. Okay. And so other people, you know, and <laughs> yes. then other other people are going to say, oh, the guy is, uh, you know, he's ambitious. Right. He's a go-getter. He's, uh, you know, he's trying to make it. But uh, social media is not where it's at. If you're doing social media now in the hair industry, you're passe. You're already, you're out of business. You just don't know it yet. Because if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're out of business. Everyone is drowning. Everyone is drowning. Everyone who's marketing, they refuse to, to have human interaction with someone. They refuse to have human interaction. It's so easy. I can sit at home. I can lay on my sofa and I can do my social media. I don't have to interact with anyone. You know what it is? It's lazy. It's lazy. And you know what? It takes more time. It's even more time. It takes more energy and hours to do social media. But when it comes to the real confrontation of of speaking to another human being, it's very lazy. It's a terrible way to market. Now, for some businesses, I think it's a necessary thing. Right. You know, if you have an online business, you have to. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's certain businesses. I'm, I mean, you know, where where yeah, it's a really valid uh, social media is a very valid thing. The problem that I have with social media is years ago when you had a business, how did you advertise your business? There used to be a phone book. Okay, we don't really advertise in phone books anymore, but there was a phone book, there was newspapers, there was magazines, okay? If you were a business, you had your advertisements and everything in one of those forms of media. Right. Or television, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, you've got businesses advertising on social media as well as the rest of the consumers that are non-business. So now it's flooded. You've got businesses and non-businesses. There's too much information. So so anything that could stand out is being... It's not standing out. It's not standing out at all. At uh-uh. all. Right. There's nothing unique about your business. If you're blended in a woman in Ohio who's got a web page about knitting. 
and a guy in Florida who has a web page about crocodiles and a, a hairdresser in Beverly Hills that has a web page about hair color. It doesn't matter anymore. It's all turned into mush. It's all and mush. And that's where relationships come in. Because mm-hmm. it's interesting because like yeah. I'm right now doing this morning exercise. Her name is Megan Aspen, Mega Strong, mm-hmm. and she's in Sioux Falls and she does this morning exercise. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I signed up with her was because one of my friends mm-hmm. talked about her on her personal Facebook said, this is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Any of my friends, please try her out. And I did. And I love her. Mm-hmm. But then she... It's very interesting because she uses social media as a relationship builder. Mm-hmm. She has like a text messaging, like a group me app, mm-hmm. talks to everyone and says, hey, I'm available. I'll take your call. Let's talk. So she's been able to develop what you're talking about, a relationship exactly. within the social media. Exactly. And that's really what it comes down to. That is. That's, that's all I'm saying. You know, people go, oh, you know what? He's, this guy, he's like a, he's a dinosaur. It's like, <laughs> no, actually, I use computer. I'm very tech savvy. I know. Uh, you're like the best shopper. And I shop online. <laughs> I'm not, I'm a big online shopper. I love to read reviews and write reviews. I'm not anti-technology. I'm just looking at it from a common sense you know, relationship uh, from business. I have a business background. I just don't see how, if you, if you put some effort into a a page and, you know, people are curious and they want to go on and they want to look you up or something like that, that's great. But to use Facebook or Instagram as your primary marketing, it's not only is it pathetic, it's just useless. And I think you're right. I think there's something about that whole developing of relationship. And I think they're not able to develop no. relationships anymore. The no. young people, I, I had, I had a girl, she's just a lovely girl. She's, she kind of graduated out of what working for me and she's working for another salon. She wanted to lease and she worked for me on commission right. and she wanted to stay with me, but she wanted me to rent her a chair. And I said, no, I I'm not going to rent you a chair. You have to be a part of the team here. You know, that's just how I do it. So she went to work for another salon and we keep in touch. She, when I was trying to help her build her clientele, I was like, let's, you know, we went out to a Mexican restaurant and I said, now here's walk up to that girl. And she goes, oh, she's got pretty hair. And I go, okay, you're sitting here. She's sitting there. You guys are about the same age. You could probably be really good friends. Okay. You guys are basically look the same. (laughs) All right. Go up and talk to her. Go and introduce yourself. Oh, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And oh my God, you're so pretty and I love your hair and I'm a new hairdresser in town. And can I give you my card? Would you come and see me? If you ever need something with hair, I would love to work on you. That's all you have to do. She could not do it. I think most people can. She could not do it. I think people are afraid of that. They're afraid of it. I think so. And it's like, what are you afraid of? It's just a human person. What are they going to do? Say no. And see, this is where it comes. This is where my experience as being a single man comes in. As a single man, I would go up, you know, hey, do you want to go out on a date? No. Oh, all right. <laughs> go to a bar. Hey, uh, how you doing? Get away from me. You're not seven feet tall and you're not rich. Oh, all right. Bye. See, as a male, I'm used to rejection. You are used to rejection. I'm used to yeah, it. Yeah, you are. And I married your best friend. You married my best friend. So I'm really used to rejection. (laughs) She's a tough cookie. She's a strong woman. That's another part of it. It's like, I think um, women and men have a different 
thing. I don't know why women feel weird about walking up to somebody. Um, well, you're not you're not really you're not really used to it. You're not really brought up for it. You know. I guess I I think with you know. I feel like I'm a non-threatening kind of guy, so I can easily walk up to a woman and introduce myself. Hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And when when I was a single man, that it was a numbers game. It's like, okay, I'm going to get rejected like 12 times, but maybe on the 13th time, she might smile at me and she might like, I might get her number. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like being from old school, being old school dating it's like, yeah, I'm kind of used to rejection to some degree, <laughs> you know, and then Christy. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're going to conclude. Like, I just want to talk a little bit about your message. So you have we talked about the recipient of like your clientele. We've mm-hmm. talked about your products. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how to sales and marketing. But mm-hmm. then also sales and marketing is about you, the person, the messenger. And I really liked because yeah. you really take care of having the right I don't know if it's the right look or the right... You've been very cognizant about your style and how... I love fashion. Yes. I love fashion. You know what fashion is? Fashion is a costume. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Fashion is a costume. Hair is a costume. It's an accessory to the costume. Clothing, it's a costume. You can go from being very country club preppy... Okay. And then you can go into a room, change your clothes, and you can look like a rock star just by changing your clothes and your hair. And then you can go from the rock star to looking like a society person, very formal, very prim and put together with a just an air of elegance or too much elegance or not enough elegance, whatever you want. But uh, uh, fashion is a costume. And that's it's fun. It's fun to wear costumes. Who doesn't like to dress up? When we were little kids, we what did we do? We dressed up and pretended to be somebody else. That's all we are doing now as adults. Fashion is a costume. You change your hairstyle, you're a different person. Change your hair color, you're a different person. Change your clothing, you're a different person. I love clothing. I love dressing up. I love dressing down. I just love all the items that I can cover my body in and change my personality. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I think that's really what you were talking about. Some people are not able to go from the lower end hairdresser to the higher end because they're not able to follow mm-hmm. almost like the codes or the mores of yeah. behavior. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That's really, really well, interesting. Well said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just have to say thank you. This was such a learning experience. And I think Good. Uh, what would be the major takeaway for someone that's starting out? Build relationships. Build relationships. Without the relationships that I've built, right. I would have nothing. Have- no, I would have nothing. I built relationships with people that l- have looked after me. Now, I'm not being braggadocious, but I've built for myself and for my family and for the lifestyle that I want. I've built an incredible, incredible level of success. An incredible level of success. I've made more money than I ever thought was possible. And I've had, but more than the money that I've made and the success that I've made, I've made connections with people and I have connections with people. I've, I know judges, I know politicians, I know famous actor, movie actors and actresses. I, people from so many different walks of life. If I need law advice, when I wrote up my COVID contract, I had a lawyer friend of mine who started as a client. You know, I call my clients friends. 
that helped me with things. I mean, I could reach out to, I've got uh, just over almost 650 regular people in my life. And all of those relationships, I I would be nothing without those people. They all plugged me in. They all plugged me in. They said, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Oh, there's a guy who owns a restaurant over here. There's a woman who owns a, a horse stable over here. Let's get you hooked up over here and there and there. That's how it works. But I do the same thing. Somebody, one of my clients, like, you know what? I need a really good lawyer. I'm going, you're, you're going through a, tar, a hard divorce. Let me think. I know about you know, a million. Let me, let me think of somebody who's going to be suited for you. I put people in touch with each other and they become friends. So you're connected. So I'm kind of like the, I wouldn't say a magnet, but I, I, I can't think of a word to describe. But, you know, I depend on other people for relationships and they depend on me. Right. To connect them with other people. So it's helping each other out. It is. That's it's a all, it's about relationships. Because without those relationships, I wouldn't have the success that I have. No, I right. would never. And you know another thing? I work on a lot of very wealthy people. And the one thing that a lot of wealthy people have said to me is they go, you know what? You're a breath of fresh air. They always say that. They say you're a breath of fresh air. And, I say, and you know how I, why I respond to that? I say... Here's the thing with me. I want success and wealth, but I'm not trying to compete with you. And I know my place in the world. It's okay. You make a level of success. There's a ceiling for all of us. You work until you get to that ceiling. I'm never going to become wealthy like Bill Gates. I'm just using his name. Right, yeah. Okay. But I'm never going to become Bill Gates wealthy. Right. Okay. Nor do I want to be or aspire to be. Right. I want to be wealthy and successful in my own realm. Mm-hmm. Okay. People need to know their place in the world. Right. This is who I am. I'm a hairstylist. I'm not a famous brain surgeon. I'm not a famous rock star or an actor. I can't earn $4 million a year. I can't do that with what I've chosen to do. I have to live within reality. And I think that's a big problem with people. They want to live, and I hate to use the word beyond their means. So I shouldn't, I'm not going to say that because that means something else. But people are not comfortable in their skin and they're not, they don't know their place in the world. Okay. So why do you think they call you a breath of fresh air? It's because. Because I'm, because I'm not trying to impress them and I'm just being myself. I'm just being myself. It's like, I know what fork to use at a, at a nice dinner, okay? I'm not going to embarrass myself in a society situation. I'm not a part of... And you'll of, be interesting in the society. I might be interesting and I might make an ass out of myself. But you know what? I'm able to communicate with people and make them feel comfortable in my world. Right. And I want to feel comfortable in their world. That doesn't mean that I have to live in their world. That doesn't mean that I have to live in their world. And I'm not trying to be a part of their world except for where I fit in their world. And that's okay. It's okay for me to be the hairstylist. I don't feel subservient. I feel like a very important part of people's lives. I don't feel like I'm subservient and I don't feel like I'm superior to them. I feel like... I have my place in the world. They have their place in the world. And you contribute to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think there's too much, there are too many divisions in economics with people. It's like, oh, they drive a $400 car. I don't know if there is a $400 car. I'm sure there is. <laughs> but 
they drive a $400 car. I could never talk to them. That might be a very interesting person. You never know. Okay. I mean, at some point in my career, I drove, I remember driving a seven. When I met Christy, I had a $700 truck. Right. It was like, I'm not buying any more expensive sports cars. I'm going to drive something crappy where nobody looks at me and goes, oh, I wonder about this guy. It's like, no, it's transportation. And it was like one of my favorite vehicles. I didn't have to do anything to it. And, uh, you know, naturally, then I've driven sports cars, too. I mean, you know, I mean, but but if somebody judged me for the rickety truck that I drove, they would have looked at me and gone, oh, my God, this guy's full of tattoos. He's driving an old truck. It's like, look at him. He's got crazy long hair. I, I would never talk to that guy. He's scary. They would never know the person that I am. Right. And it's like. Beyond the costume. Beyond the costume. Exactly. Right. The heart. Yeah. So we love the costume, but we love the heart. And so I just think we should um, kind of maybe conclude here. And I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite word, favorite commercial? Is there something that comes to mind that really triggers you from when you were a kid or? Boy, um, I would say my favorite I would say it's a um, saying or a statement. Okay, what's that? It is what it is. 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 Yeah. Well, I just have to say thank you so much, Keith. This oh, yeah. An amazing conversation. Good I stuff. Stop talking. Good stuff. And um, thank you yeah. all. Until all right. next time. All right. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you know at least one or two friends that would get a lot of value from this, send this episode. Or text a couple of your friends right now to WhatsApp group, post it on your Instagram stories, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget to tag me at Torin B. Share with anyone you think that needs to hear this message. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And how can we prove and make this better? Or how did this help you? And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Moving Beyond Acronyms. 